0: You're listening to Becoming Fully Alive, hosted by Church of the Ascension in Knoxville. I'm Billy Daniel.
1: And I'm Caroline Bogle. Knox is a center for spiritual learning and practice we've set up a monthly offering rhythm for Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. the first Sunday evening is the Spiritus Knox book study second Sunday evening of the month is breathing under the oak trees third Sunday evening is our monthly Celtic service and the fourth Sunday is tools of aliveness. So we hope that you'll join us. You can learn more at our website, SpiritusKnox.com.
0: On this episode of the podcast, we're talking about lifecraft, spiritual practices that help us orient our lives toward God. So, why lifecraft?
1: What is a lifecraft? Before we get to why, what is it?
0: So, Simone Veil has this wonderful, um, in her book Seeking God, she has this wonderful way of talking about artisans and, and craftsmen. And, and she says that the, the peasants have this wonderful saying that when a carpenter cuts his hand when preparing the wood that it's the craft entering his body mm. and and i've really thought a lot about that and when we started thinking about our own take on a rule of life and 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 thinking of that phrase lifecraft i kept thinking about how this is how life enters the body mm. So we know that we have at the very core of who we are, that we are the image of God, that this this life that God's given us, that's who we are. And there's a need for that life to enter the body in a way that draws out who we are within. And and so when I think of lifecraft, it really is crafting a life, crafting life through deliberate practices, through cultivating of an attention deepening awareness both of who we are who the people in front of us are and and what it means to inhabit the world so those are the things that immediately come to mind when I think of what is a Mm lifecraft and 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 why do we need it
1: yeah so often as we've been talking about this I and you tease me for thinking about it this way, but I do keep thinking about it this way as a boat Mm. and something I think of as a a life craft is something that holds me Mm. and the practices themselves are a way both that I can rely on and that also help me orient in the direction that I I think God wants me to be going. Yeah. Right. So the boat is itself you know the body of the boat is, is a container a holy container and it also helps me point in the direction
0: yeah, um, yeah. And there's a there's a resonance that I had not really thought about so much, and you know that that middle part of the boat is the nave,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and the middle part of the church building is a nave, mm-hmm. and it goes right around with our belly, our navel,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and if you if you go back to Simeon the theologian back in the tenth century,
1: I'm always going back to him.
0: Yeah, I, I, <laughs> doesn't doesn't everybody. I think he might be the first one to say the word "navel gaze." Mm. Gaze at your navel, mm-hmm. and it—it's it, not just the kind of hokey spiritualist practice. It really is attending to our gut,
2: mm.
0: and and most every dietitian will tell you that if you just focus on your gut, it'll tell you everything you need to know. Right. And and there's a real sense that when we really focus on the core of who we are, mm-hmm. our our navel, then what we need to do and how we, where our t- attention is needed, it will reveal itself. Mm-hmm. But not if we're not giving it our attention. Right.
1: We have to give it some space.
0: Yeah, and so whether we think of it as building a ship in which to travel and carry us toward God or a certain craft entering the body through the practice of building it or both a life craft is a way to deliberately orient ourselves toward God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so okay, so we've talked a little bit about what it is hopefully in a way that is grounding for people. Why? Why Why have a life craft? I mean, we get super jazzed about this, but I'm not sure it's really always apparent to other people why it's so jazzy, like why it's so um, beneficial for our lives, what it, yeah, what it offers us in really meaningful
2: ways.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it is a challenging thing to to really describe and talk about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It really is to, to fully understand or even catch a glimpse of it. You really do have to practice it. So in describing it, I think owning up front to to know what this is all about, you got to practice it yourself.
1: Yeah. You got to live into it.
0: And there are there are things that can be described and 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 I would say one of the practices for me that has sort of changed everything, both physiologically, how I experience the world, how I see things has been the practice of breathing Mm -hmm. and and really sitting down for 20 minutes to an hour of just breathing. And and so I, I follow a little bit of a blend of lots of different practices. And I, I became, became taken by the Tai Chi method of breathing in and out in such an elongated way that those around you don't even notice that you're breathing mm. and and so most most Westerners have a breathing cycle taking air in and uh, letting air out something like twenty to even thirty revolutions a minute and And that's a lot and And the goal is to get down to around four to six. Wow. And, and so in, in Tai Chi, most, most practitioners have one revolution per minute. And it's so slow and rhythmic that you're basically inhaling for about 20 seconds and exhaling for 40. And, and I've developed that over time. And it does, I don't do that so much throughout the day, but when I'm sitting in the morning and I'm just doing that, it has a a dramatic effect on what I attend to and how my attention is given. It completely relaxes me in such a way that I can be where I am. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And... Throughout the rest of my day when I have given myself to this practice for uh, some length of time in the morning, I notice myself, I catch myself throughout the day having this very slow rhythmic breath Mm -hmm. and one of the things that has happened for me and I've always been someone who exercised a lot so it wasn't a dramatic shift And yet, I noticed that my resting heart rate went way down
2: Mm.
0: in the high 40s, low 50s, where it would normally be somewhere in the 60s, which is pretty good. But there was such a deeper level of calm when I began practicing these uh, breathing regiments. And the other thing that I noticed is that after a probably about 10 minutes of doing the breathing, I found myself in what I can only describe as drifting into prayer. Mm. And there was such a stillness would come over me. And I wasn't needing to have all these elaborate words that God needed to understand about my day or life or making all sorts of requests. But I found myself just being with God in this space of silence and doing that on a daily basis, it changed everything. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so when I think about why we have a life craft, why we have deliberate practices, I go to some of those practices that have completely oriented me toward God. and And I think about where I might be otherwise. Would I, would I be able to be still? Would I be able to sit with God? And I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I need these practices. I need deliberate practices that orient me to God during these specific times of my day so that all day long it keeps calling me back.
1: Right, so there's there's a real flow of... It's not just when you're practicing that you experience all these benefits that you're talking about, but that even when you're not practicing, um, having done so has a way of pulling you back to God yeah. um, throughout your day, regardless of what you're doing or not doing.
0: Yeah. So di- dietitians will tell you that if you eat something really sweet in the morning, mm-hmm. you'll want something sweet the rest of the day.
1: I can vouch for that.
0: Yes. <laughs> and so the, the thing we start our day with can constantly pull us back, and that can be wonderful and beneficial, and it can be harmful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that the prayer of the morning determines the day. And I think about the way that we are called to live our lives as a prayer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if we don't have some prayerful way of starting our day, it's going to be hard to come back to prayer throughout the day. Right. If we don't start our day with God, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to keep coming back to God all day long.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet that is, that is who we are. That that that's who we are as human beings. Um, it's who we are called to be as Christians, and and so these practices are are constantly enabling us to be that person mm-hmm. in in big and really small ways.
1: So when I I also do a lot of breathing exercises meditation in the morning and one of the great benefits that I find is in that stillness and quiet I'm able to get in touch with my own soul better and and with God for sure and I'm much more likely to be able to connect with um, God's light inside of me Hmm. And so because when I'm going through my day I mean the light and the dark within me kind of have equal opportunity right (laughs) and yet when I start my day in a way where I'm really still it allows um, those kind of darker tendencies within me Um, for example something an example might be clinging right like things that I cling to, um, that I might become overly dependent on, um, without even, oftentimes even being aware that I am. <laughs> um, and whether that's money or uh, needing a situation to go a particular way or um, a person, and I can just allow myself to be still, let it be. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't need that clinging to be different than it is but in the quiet it does um well it's not quite so clingy (laughs) right there's a stillness even to that although sometimes in the quiet it doesn't feel very still but if I sit long enough it will get still so that then as I move through my day I'm more likely to draw from the light side of myself because of that quiet time in the morning. And those more darker kind of clingy uh, parts of me are less likely to be activated. Or if they are activated, I'm more likely to have the awareness to go, oh, (laughs) I'm clinging, you know, there it is again. Yeah. And I don't have to judge myself. I don't have to beat myself up for it, but I can just go, oh, there it is. Mm. And then I can work with it in a different kind of way than, than if I don't have that stillness, that quiet in the morning. Yeah, because, I, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. How we, and I preached on it yesterday, how all of us have a light side and a dark side within us. You know, I think it's so interesting that especially where we are in our culture, it, we're, so, we're so easy to say, oh, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys and right. throughout history we've always done this mm-hmm. right but we all have this kind of collective awareness that we're doing more of it lately and it, it's a real defensive posture and the reality is is that as long as i'm really invested in these are the good guys these are the bad guys these are the people of the light these seem to be the people of the darkness then I don't really have to contend with both the light and the dark within myself.
2: Yeah.
1: And I keep what keeps resonating with me is, Oh, 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 but I'm going to keep perpetuating that them and us light mm-hmm. and dark in the world. As long as I don't reconcile it within myself, right. To have some level of acceptance and ability to work with both the light and the dark within me.
0: Because it's the, it's my, it's my dark side that wants to highlight your darkness. Yes. Right? Right. And so long as I'm doing that, I don't see my own darkness. Exactly. I just see yours.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's easier, right? I mean, there's a real human... Even a thriving human, I don't mean thriving in a good way, but (laughs) this sense of it's easier. It's just, it's easier to go to, I'm going to pay attention to your darkness so that I can alleviate the pain of mine.
0: Yeah. It's a survival mechanism. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. And, and, but we don't see it as survival. We see it as you're just a, um, a bad or dark person. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Without ever having to really look inwards to say, "Who do I have some of those tendencies? What do those tendencies look like in me?" And then what does that bring up in me? Because oftentimes, and I know I'm not alone in this, um, is when we really get in touch with our dark side, um, the darkness within us, what we would maybe label bad within us, is that it oftentimes really provokes shame. Yeah, this sense of, oh, my gosh, well, if this is true about myself, then, you know, all these things. But it's it's most threatening in relationship, whether that relationship be to oneself or to other people or or to God. And um, so then, oh, gosh, then it just becomes like utter turmoil. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all happening just within myself
0: yeah right all the time
1: all the time all the time so again this so if if you can take the beginning of the day to really be in a place of stillness uh, with your own soul connecting very intentionally to a loving God it does have a way of orienting um, your heart as you move through the day your thoughts as you move through the day
0: yeah it's going to come as no surprise to you that I'm going to quote from my new favorite poet, Hafez. Yeah, let's go. Let's go there. He has this marvelous poem where he talks about... Um, um, he loves to write about donkeys. And he says, Why speak to the donkey and me with the donkey and you when there are all these other wonderful creatures and beautifully colored birds who just can't wait to come out and greet you?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think about that sense of we have this lightness and this darkness that we can bring out to greet each other. Right. Why do we lead with the darkness? Why do we so often lead with the darkness when there are so many other wonderful beautiful colored birds who just can't wait to come out and greet us and the other person
1: right and i think it goes back to what you said it's about survival mechanisms yeah and so often we don't even realize that we're doing it yeah right it's so in our blind spot And,
0: and it also has this um a way of keeping us from seeing one another and the world around us as a real gift yes and i i know that um, in the Spiritus Knox book studies. You've been reading Robin Kamara. Mm-hmm. And, and she talks a lot about seeing the world as gifts. Yes. What, what, what have you come across there?
1: So just this morning, I was reading one of the essays in particular in Braiding Sweet Grass. It's, it's around the middle of the book. And three different quotes um, left out at me. And one goes like this. How will people ever care for the fate of moss spiders? If we don't teach students to recognize and respond to the world as gift. And I think you can fill in the blank moss spiders mm-hmm. with anything. Yeah. Right. Um, but how how do we allow ourselves? How do we even build a practice within ourselves to recognize and respond to the world as a gift? And, um, you know, one of the practices Um, that you've been talking about in life craft is welcoming the challenge. Yeah. And so oftentimes in, in our culture, maybe it's even just the human experience. I don't know. I don't really necessarily think it's exclusive to our culture, but what we find challenging, oftentimes we do not perceive as gift. Mm
2: -hmm. We
1: quickly label as, Oh, this is something's wrong. Um, it needs to be changed. It needs to be fixed. Um, we have a hard time going, "Oh wow, this is challenging.
2: <gasps> what a gift."
0: Right. Be- because if it's challenging, if it's causing me to question myself or question my judgment or whatever it might be, I don't want to come to terms with all the stuff where I might have been amiss, where I may have gotten it wrong. I don't want to name those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so we shy away from it as opposed to welcoming that challenge in such a way that, oh, here's an opportunity to grow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's an opportunity to better understand. Here's an opportunity to know, oh, that thing that I said, it did not land mm-hmm. with that person in the way that I really wanted it to.
2: Right.
0: I, I may have said something that I thought was completely benign, but it landed in such a way that um, it's coming back to me from the other person as a challenge. And suddenly I have to ask myself, oh, it is was that healthy? Was that helpful? Mm-hmm. Am I drawing out the birds? Um, or as uh, Benjamin Zander, another of my favorite peop- uh, people to um, think through in terms of of this relational dynamic that we have he always talks about um, shining eyes and how we make the eyes of those around us shine and he asked the question if I'm not making the eyes of those around me shine who am I being
2: hmm
0: not not what am I saying what did I say who am I being mm-hmm. and I think welcoming a challenge gives us the opportunity to really ask ourselves Oh, who am I being?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So another quote yeah. that popped up this morning. Um, All we need as students is mindfulness. Paying attention is a form of reciprocity with the living world. Receiving the gifts with open eyes and open heart. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about how whatever spiritual practice you use however frequently that hopefully it offers you the benefit of um of mindfulness of being Mm -hmm. able to pay attention to whatever you're doing whoever you're with in a singular fashion yeah that you're able to bring and you know it's interesting like I'm starting to think of it as, yes, it's mindfulness, but that's just about the mind. Yeah. You know, when I start with spiritual directees in a session, we meditate together to bring, to align mind, body, spirit, mm. um, soul, heart, um, to bring all of that to the present moment so that our whole being, right? Is, I always want to call it being full or something <laughs> instead <laughs> of just mindfulness.
0: Maybe. <laughs> Maybe beingness.
1: Beingness. Beingness. Maybe that that's good. I'm going to chew on that. Um, but I think it's a way of bringing our whole selves to the present moment yeah. um, so that we're all here.
0: Yeah. And um, one of the practices um, that we've been talking about, centering prayer, which a lot of people are familiar with, is... But centering prayer is really about cultivating that sense of presence. And so when, when I practice centering prayer and, and I'm not holding on to all the thoughts that come to mind, but I keep coming back to God over and over and over again, often using a sacred word, I do that not because I'm trying to achieve something, not because I'm trying to gain something in that moment. Sometimes it feels that way. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing that whole time is calling myself back to God, back to God, back to God over and over again. And then in all those different moments throughout the day, I get to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And I have a habit that's cultivating that um that beingness that that being there that that sense of being where i am and 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 so we 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 need these kinds of habits and practices so that we do experience the world in a in a in a truly attentive mindful being way right and which which allows um you know, something that you're always calling back to is that's um, instead of talking about letting go, letting be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and these practices let be yeah. all the things that might get in our way. Right. And which also lets us be. Yes. And, and I think that's a really important thing to um, be aware of, that this is how we... Become our truest selves.
2: Right, right.
1: Just allowing ourselves to be moment to moment. I mean, what a gift in and of itself. You know, and I, I didn't think about this this morning, but I'm thinking about it in this moment. This part of the quote where she's saying, "Receiving the gifts, the gifts, living reciprocity with the living world. Receiving the gifts with open eyes and open heart. And how incredibly vulnerable that is. Mm. Right." Um, Receiving in and of itself is oftentimes very vulnerable for so many people. And to do so with open eyes and open heart, especially maybe the gifts that are challenging. I mean, I was having an experience just recently where I was saying to God, oh, if I could just kind of harden my heart just a little bit, it would make it easier. Like, I'll stay present, I'll stay engaged, but I'm just going to harden my heart just a little bit. Or just kind of, hmm. And... But to receive all the gifts with open eyes and open heart. Yeah. Like even the most challenging things with open eyes and open heart, like not asking it to be different than it is, just yeah. letting it be. Whew. I need a lot of quiet in my life in order to be able to do that. It's humbling.
0: It, but it's a way of relieving both ourselves and others and the things around us from expectation.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to get to this last quote. A teacher comes, they say, when you are ready. And if you ignore its presence, it will speak to you more loudly. But you have to be quiet to hear. Hmm. And I think maybe that sums up uh, for me The need for spiritual practices, because all my spiritual practices allow me to get quiet and to hear so that as the teachers appear throughout the day, I recognize them as teachers um, in all their varying levels of challenge. um, But I can see them for what they are not be so reactive um, and, and receive each teacher as a gift.
0: Yeah. So how do you see our receiving the teachers as gift? How do you see this coming back to the conversation we were having earlier about, you know, we've got this potential for darkness and goodness, and, and the, these teachers kind of draw out from us one of those, depending on how we, in some sense, let them, Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes that hard teacher, right, that challenging person might be wanting to draw out our dark side.
2: Sure.
0: And we can yet bring forth the light side, as mm-hmm. it were. Mm-hmm. And so how do you see that dynamic of... The, the challenging teacher when we receive that person as gift, as a teacher, mm-hmm. rather than a combatant. Right. How does that alter our experience and, and help us live into that deeper sense of aliveness that does want to come out of us?
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I think that um, my spiritual director calls um these uh, kind of maybe we think of them as challenging teachers she calls them sandpaper people <laughs> where they kind of feel like, it's like rubbing against you and it causes a lot of tension and irritation. Yeah, I felt them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's
1: usually how we do experience. We feel them, right? We feel the agitation, we feel that annoyance and um frustration. And oftentimes with that comes then a very irritable um, antagonistic response. It's more reaction. Mm. Uh, we get very reactive with them. And, and that is oftentimes a sign of, I think our dark side or our, um, our shadow side coming out is when we do feel kind of combative or, um, or maybe we just want to flee. It's really fight, flight, freeze, or we freeze. We go kind of numb
2: mm.
1: um, around these people and and sometimes it's it's you know you see this person coming and your body already starts to, to respond in a certain kind of yeah. way or react in a certain kind of way and sometimes it's this is a person that normally doesn't irritate you your body but but for whatever reason today they say something or they say it with a certain tone and you're like
2: Aah! and you get really <laughs>
1: reactive right and so these situations, these people, draw stuff out of us in a way that go, "Whoa, like what's that about?" Yeah, right? And so, without that experience, without that teacher coming in into my awareness, into my day, I don't have the opportunity to engage this side of me mm-hmm. that gets really reactive and and because of that, I can't um. I can't shift it if I don't bring it out of my blind spot to Mm -hmm. work with
0: it so how do you see so we've been talking about the this lifecraft business Mm -hmm. and and the need for spiritual practices how do you see those um, or, or maybe how do you see the teacher this challenge this challenging person as calling attention to or, or helping us become more aware that, oh, there's a, there's a spiritual practice that I need to give more attention or there's, there's some practice that I need in my life mm-hmm. so that I don't react, but I actually am able to be present in that moment and not give it power over me.
1: Well, and this is where I'm really grateful for a variety of spiritual practices because, you know, different things work for different people is the reality, right? And so to ask someone who gets highly anxious in these situations or who might have like OCD, for example, to, to ask them to sit and just be with that. Oh Hmm. my gosh, that, and just, just be quiet with that. I mean, that would just be like an utter hell. So I wouldn't tell them, hey, just go pray about that, <laughs> right? I mean, like, go sign yourself up for a torture device. That's ridiculous. That's awful. So, again, there there's a variety of different things that may be helpful in those situations. For some people, it may be really helpful just to get the body and the mind and the heart to be really still so you can let that person or situation pass through you. Yeah um and and literally feel like you get to the other side of it because you felt your feelings about it and you haven't denied it you just like let it move through you and you're like oh okay that's past mm-hmm. right but other people like it might be helpful to go to Lectio Divina. It may be helpful to sit with a piece of scripture and really enter it, see it from um, a similar situation from everybody's different perspectives as a way of kind of grounding yourself in a broader perspective, Mm. for example. Um, I mean, I have different spiritual practices that I use um, that are not, I wouldn't say components of the five major um, spiritual practices of lifecraft um, but that helped me tremendously in situations like this
0: yeah and I, and I also think about the the practices as as ways of grounding us as persons n- n- not so much so that um in that present moment like mm-hmm. like there might be a practice that really might help us through the moment yeah But having these practices, inhabiting these with some regularity, um, will help me win those moments when those teachers come forward.
1: Yes. Well, one, to even be aware of, oh, this is a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, even being able to stop long enough to go, oh, a teacher has appeared. Yeah. It is a game changer.
0: B- because they rarely look like teachers. Rarely. Or the te- <laughs> definitely
1: not the teacher I want. Yeah.
0: No, but if I can receive that person as a teacher, mm-hmm. even or especially when what they have to teach me is not something I want to learn. Right. If I can be there, if I can be present, then chances are there's some grounding practice that I'm doing and that's making me see them as a teacher, receive the lesson they might have to offer, and to share this gift of life with them.
1: Yeah, share the gift of life with them. And I think I've been humbled over the last several years to realize these sandpaper teachers um, these teachers that really challenge me are usually the ones that make me grow the most right they create yeah. the the most healthy stress although it may not feel so healthy at times so that it challenges me to evolve um, to stretch um, to expand um, my ability
0: yeah For sure. As much as I enjoy receiving praise, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, it's usually the criticism that helps me explore all the care and lack of care in whatever I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if that criticism is unfounded, Mm -hmm. even if it's coming from a place that's not constructive if I can receive it in some way I can still grow right yeah
1: yeah isn't that interesting the places where it's unfounded and yet we can still grow from it
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I mean is, it, that's that always fascinates me when I get really irritated or upset with someone and I I know that what they're saying is not true yeah and yet I'm still upset
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like what's that about there's still there's still such an opportunity there. Um,
0: yeah. It and it and it calls attention to there there's still something of the animal in me
2: mm-hmm.
0: that that needs a little more humanity.
1: Oh, can you say more about that?
0: Well, so in, in the I think what I'm really thinking about right now is in the in in the Gospel of Thomas in one of the quote unquote Gnostic Gospels. He writes about um, the um, the lion, the lion within, and so when the when the lion eats the man, um, we we are the um, the animal side of us kind of takes over, and we cease to be our true human selves. But when the human eats the lion.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then we're really living into the fullness of our potential. It's, mm. it's, it's uh, taking all the goodness of our animal life, the, the playfulness, the, the things that we just kind of need um, while giving it the direction of um, our orientation toward God. Mm. Otherwise we're just chasing the food we're just chasing our desires we're just chasing after our need to survive Mm -hmm. and when that overcomes us when it consumes the human within us Mm -hmm. then we lose sight and we can't receive those people as our teachers right and and we lose our playfulness Mm -hmm. And, and one, of the, one of the most miraculous gifts I have received in recent years is, is that when those hard teachers, those unfounded critics, um, I can smile at them now mm-hmm. in a way that I couldn't before. Because even though I... N-
1: smile with warmth.
0: Smile with warmth, not in a kind of antagonistic way, but I can smile knowing that... While what I hear them saying doesn't seem to have any grounding in truth, mm-hmm. I, it, it's often coming from somewhere where deep down they might actually be trying to be helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so I can see through the layers um, much easier than I used to. There were times when I just couldn't see it. Sure. And, and now I can see that what they're, what they're really after is some goodness that they can't put their finger on. Mm -hmm. And, and if I can sit with it, then we might find it together. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: and that I think is when we can overcome that animal fight, 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 flight, freeze. Yes and and live into that fullness of our humanity
1: yeah so I think I think what I hear you saying is that like even the most challenging teachers can make your eyes shine
0: yeah even when they're not trying to make my eyes shine
1: they still can though
0: they still can
1: hmm And I wonder if that's a little bit about, because you can get through all the layers and you can see that the essence of their being is goodness. And and what they're trying to share with you, the essence of what they're trying to share with you is goodness.
0: Yeah. And it comes back to one of my favorite quotes by St. Augustine, that we either love the wrong things, or we love the right things wrongly Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I think that may be too polarizing but but I think it's a helpful way to think about these things is that deep down people want what's good Mm -hmm. sometimes they don't realize it realize it because they might want it for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. Or they don't exactly know how to bring it about Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and they're yet striving for it in their own way Mm -hmm. and if we can be gracious and hospitable enough to recognize that oh what they're really after is something more something more meaningful they're really after the good because That's who they are deep down at their core. Mm -hmm. And if I can see through the messiness, if I can see through the sandpaper and know that this is someone who at their core is good and they are longing for goodness, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: then my response might actually help both of us find the goodness between us
1: absolutely
0: so what we're talking about in this whole business of a life craft crafting a life inhabiting the world with through these spiritual practices we're, we're talking about cultivating a, a kind of disposition a, a total orientation of our being toward the world and others toward God and Without that orienting um, practice, that disposition where we are able to seek out the goodness in others and bring out our inner goodness amidst those who aren't quite trying to draw it out from us. Mm -hmm. That's the only way we're able to do these things, to inhabit the world in this way. And and without the practices, I easily lose sight of my own goodness. Mm-hmm. I lose sight of the goodness of others. And, and I become reactive instead of responsive. I, I become judgmental instead of gracious. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not a healthy way to live life.
1: <laughs> right. And I think what's so kind of fun and mysterious about spiritual practices is that you can be praying or doing breath work or whatever you do every morning and not necessarily feel any different right. time to time, right? So in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a practice of trust that over time, this really is shaping me. This really is shifting my disposition towards the goodness, towards the light um, even when I don't feel anything happening.
0: Right. Because you're not always going to feel some shift in the moment.
1: Right. In fact, most of the time, I don't. I mean, if I'm looking at my own personal experience, most of the time I do not feel any different. Although, I mean, at least a good cu- couple times a week, I'll when I get up from practice, I do feel more calm. My mind feels more clear. Um, there's subtle shifts but in terms of like reorienting or shifting my disposition yeah, i think that that's the slow drip over time
0: it, it is a slow drip it does happen over time and one of the signs that we've talked about before and how how do we know it's happening and so one way is recognizing those teachers those challenging teachers as gifts and being able to be present and not reactive and another one that is just so ordinary that we don't often think about and maybe maybe we don't associate this with a sign is laughter Mm. and 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 noticing noticing the flutter of a butterfly Mm
2: -hmm.
0: noticing the hummingbird outside my window Mm -hmm all the beautiful things in creation, all the things that bring joy to our life, we get to experience those things more often because we are disposed in such a way that we're open to the more that's all around us.
1: Right so there's an expansive effect.
0: Yeah, totally. On
1: our minds, our hearts, our souls, our spirits, our bodies through these practices. Yeah. Yeah. We we notice more goodness all around us.
2: Mhm. Yeah.
1: We'll have to talk more about laughter another time. That's worth a whole another its own whole dive.
0: It it deserves its own episode for sure. Yeah. As Hafiz says It is the purest sound. Yes.
2: Good.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Lifecraft, you can go to our website, our church's website, or spiritusnox.com. There we'll have information that you can download and read and fill in for yourself. And if you'd like to learn more about spiritual practices and learn in person, please join us at any of the offerings that we have in person on Sunday evenings at five o'clock. Again, you can learn more at spiritusnox.com.